As we wrap up this story about Job, I'm going to read selective verses from our Old Testament reading for today that will serve as the basis for my sermon. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Then jumping down to verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kazai, and the third Keren Chabuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. This is the word of our Lord. In the name of our Redeemer King, your fellow redeemed. Is that how you wanted the story to end? How many of you as parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles or a very conscientious older sibling read stories to your children to your children or to your friends or relatives or whomever and did not give them a happy ending i mean isn't it true that walt disney made all of his money off of happy endings i mean who goes to disney world or disneyland to be upset who goes to be depressed? And what's the one line at the end of all fairy tales? They lived happily ever after. Should it come then as no surprise to you that as you have been looking at this incredibly important and perhaps sometimes overlooked individual of the Old Testament, and watch how he endured more than perhaps you and I think that we could endure, and not get to the last chapter and expect a happily ever after? It shouldn't be no surprise, should it? Because throughout this entire sermon series, whether it has been obviously said or veiled throughout all the words, there is one person who's in control. And that person was not Job. Wasn't his wife. Wasn't his friends. Wasn't even the circumstances that he lived in. And if you can remember back several weeks to the first sermon... It wasn't even the devil who was in control. It was God. God who allowed everything to happen within the framework with a goal to be able to say in chapter 42, and they lived 
happily ever after. But what had to happen to get to that point? You know the story. You've heard the frustration on Job's friend's part. You've heard the struggle that Job undertook, and not by his own choosing. And you've heard his confession of faith when he so beautifully proclaimed, yes, I know that my eyes will see Yahweh. And yet, in this entire story, we've never heard a full confession from Job until today. In the very last chapter of his book, to start out, Job puts himself in the proper place. And he understands, perhaps for the first time, completely what it means to live a repenting lifestyle. After all, that's what was God's direction all along. You know, as has been proclaimed here many times, God is not a sadistic individual who cannot wait to cause harm on those that he calls his own. God does not smile in heaven when we run late, the tires are flat, the job interview fails, and our friends leave us. And God does not make our focus here on earth. No, that's the work of the devil. It's the devil who wants to always shift us from away from what God wants and onto what we think is right. And I guarantee you that when you and I act naturally, when you and I act instinctively according to our sinful nature, like I pointed out to the children, these are not the two things we focus. No, we focus on everything that Job's friends pointed out. Remember? Job, you must not be that great of an individual if you are suffering so much. You heard that before? Perhaps you've had friends, maybe even family members, who have tried to point out to you that when something bad happens to you, it's because you did something wrong. I have a dear friend in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where I live, who would always come to our weekly meetings on God's Word and list all the bad things that happened to him. I've thought that perhaps he was just finding a sympathetic ear to unveil his problems on. Turned out it was a little bit more deeply rooted. He was angry at God. In fact, he blamed God for all these bad things. And I listened, and I proclaimed the gospel, and I tried to steer him, and it didn't hit the point until he came one day and said, Pastor, that's it. I've had it with God. And I said, well, why? I phone so. 
And he said, this week, I had two flat tires. Yeah, two in one week, Alfonso, that can be a little bit difficult. And he goes, I blame God. I said, really, Alfonso, you blame God? Let me remind you of two things. Number one, where do you work, Alfonso? Oh, I work at a pallet factory. You know what pallets are? Those are those wooden platforms on the bottom that hold cargo up so that in case a little water gets through or the forklift can easily lift it. You know what pallets are made of? Wood and nails. You know what he found in his flat tires every time? Nails. I looked at him and I said, do you honestly believe that God came down from heaven and propped up all those little nails under your tires so that the very second you rolled out away from work, your tires would go flat? God does not care about you that way. Oh, yes, it is true. You and I suffer tremendously on this earth. You and I never achieve what we set out to do. And when we do think we achieve it, whether it's a high position, a great salary, or some prominence or fame, it's usually followed in trails by litters of difficulties and failed realities. Perhaps even people sacrificed along the way. God does not desire our focal point to be this world. God desires a happily ever after, which occurs in the last verse that I read you. Verse 15 or 16 in your text, and I'm drawing a blank right now. Job lived so many years, and then he died. Now, what's so great about death? You and I, naturally, we shy away from death. We don't want anything to do with death. But the reality is, is that our Father in heaven loves us so much that he does everything in his power to keep us focused on what is right. And that's not the here and now. That's heaven. Job needed to repent of his lack of focus. And that's what Job did in the first six verses of our text. Listen again. Job says, I know that you can do all things. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel? You said, listen now and I will speak. And then in verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What was Job doing? What was Job saying? Well, he recognized a couple things. Number one, he recognized I'm not God. I, I cannot understand, do, or act in a way that is perfect completely all of the time. In fact, whenever I think that I'm making the first step on the ladder, I'm actually going three steps backwards. I can't do that. 
therefore I need to understand my place. And my place is not up here as God. My place is under God. And the only way that you can find your place under God is by seeing your sin and seeing your Savior. Seeing your sin is pretty easy. It comes naturally. Seeing your Savior requires that God work for you. He did that with Job. Job did not see his Savior when his friends came by. Job did not see his Savior when his wife started talking. And Job did not see his Savior in himself. Job saw his Savior in what God promised. Where do you see a, your Savior? It can't be in your 9 to 5 or longer hours during the week. It's got to be here. Here is where God comes to you and shows you your salvation. Here is we'll see your Savior. This water connected with that word of God, which does things that you and I cannot fully explain or understand, and yet we continue to bring our children and we continue to present ourselves and individuals who are not baptized. Why? Because that's where salvation is found. And this only draws its strength from this. Without the cross of Jesus without what he did for us in his life, without his perfect sacrifice. I mean, you and I look back at our lives and we see the sacrifices. Those aren't perfect. Those are immature sacrifices. The sacrifice of Jesus was perfect. It was his holy and precious blood that was shed. His guiltless, sinless life that was given. And only with that perfection, could God the Father then declare, my children, your sins are forgiven. And without the forgiveness of sins, you and I could never begin to dream of a repenting lifestyle. We'd have no reason to. We would continue to be inwardly focused. We'd think, I can do it. I can... Become what God wants. And we'd fail. But the minute we say, no God, I can't. I, I can't become what you want. I can't do anything. I'm sorry. Then God steps in like he did with Job and said, you're right, Job. You're right, Pastor Tim. Me, not him. You can't do anything. I've done it all for you. I sent my son to live the life that you couldn't. I sent my son to die the death that you couldn't. And I raised him from the grave so that you could have a focus in your life that's not this life. It's heaven. And that's borne out, perhaps even more so, as you and I consider that, that last paragraph in the book of Job. You see how God blessed Job? Pretty incredible, huh? 
essentially to sum it all up, Job had X at the beginning of the book. At the end of the book, he had 2X. Now I understand you came to church thinking, I did not know there was going to be math today. He doubled what he had. Even though God had wiped away everything in God's mercy, he granted Job the opportunity to have double of what he possessed before. The unfortunate reality is that in today's world, there are a lot of so-called Christians who make that, that point, the focal or focus of the Christian lifestyle. They proclaim a gospel, which is really no gospel at all, that says, look, Christians, if you repent, if you really are sorry, then God will bless you here. You'll have the right job. You'll have the right salary. You'll have the right location. Your tires will never get flat, or they'll only get flat when you borrow your car out. You'll have everything you need. And they point here to the story of Job, and they say, see, Job repented, and God blessed him. If you repent, the same will happen to you. No, the only thing I can promise you is that the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to Job. He died. You will too. That's not the focus of this story. And, and I hope and pray that if, if you wander through life thinking that God owes you because of what you have done, then you've really missed what the story of Job's all about. And you've really missed happily ever after. Because the happily ever after for Job was not the doubling of his possessions here on earth. The happily ever after for Job is the same happily ever after that we desire. Truly after. After life, after death. That's why the story of Job, the reality of Job, the lessons that we learn from suffering, the confession that we want to have in our mouth, and the recognition that it is truly God who is control of everything leads us but to one end. You and I, in faith, the love that God has given us, live our lives in repentance. We say and recognize, it's not me, God. It can never be me. It's always you. And then we say and trust, Lord, keep me focused on heaven. Not, Lord, it's time for you to pay up. I've said I'm sorry. But, Lord, you've promised to take me to heaven. No matter what happens between now and that point, I live my life in repentance because my focal point is that cross, that baptism. And trust me, if the Lord's Supper would have been on the altar, I would have brought that in too. I live my life in repentance because I recognize it can never be about me. It always has to be about God. 
I live my life in repentance because this world, transitory as it is, only lasts a short time. And I know that. I turned 50 this year. These past 50 years have flown right by. Who knows what the next is going to bring? Who knows what's going to happen? But the truth is, it doesn't matter. God may give me blessings. God may not. God may give me sufferings. God may not. But above all, God's promise to all of his people, I will love you, I will keep you, and I will keep your focal point. Brothers and sisters, let's keep our eyes on the cross. Let's keep our eyes focused on heaven. Let's understand what a repenting lifestyle is. And then let's graciously give thanks to our God every opportunity we have. Because truly, we are living a happily ever after. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all of our human understanding, may this peace guard and keep